2: Hello and welcome to Mind Shifters Radio. I'm Tim Hayes. I'm your host for the first hour. And today is Monday, July 10th, 2023. As always, we're grateful to everyone who's joining us here today, whether you're listening live or through the archives, as we spend another couple of hours teaching and supporting people in using some of the most powerful, effective, efficient, and accessible tools I've ever encountered – The title of that book is, Why Is This Happening to Me Again? And that chapter of the book contains a narrative description and explanation of the primary tool in this work. The tool is called the Reality Management Worksheet, sometimes called the Reality Management Wake-Up Sheet. And it's a tool I've been using to great effect for over 18, almost 19 years now, to improve the quality of my life and most of my relationships, and to turn any negative emotional experience I have into part of the infallible guidance system that each and every one of us has been given. You can also download the actual worksheet process itself. It's a simple PDF file. Click the link, download it, print it off, copy it as often as you'd like, and use it over and over again absolutely free. You can also go to your app store and type in the three words Heartland Aramaic Forgiveness. And if you choose to do that before you're done typing the word forgiveness, you'll see the glowing heart icon. If you tap on that, it will let you download a completely free and private app. That app contains the Reality Management Worksheet, contains an abbreviated version of that worksheet process, and it contains a copy of the Dragon Klingon game which is a wonderful way to introduce these tools to even younger audiences. We hope people do all of that soon and often, primarily because it tends to improve the quality of people's lives the more they actively engage in these tools. Secondarily, because it tends to prompt comments, questions, answers, and testimonials when people engage these tools. So if you have any of those to share with us, we would greatly appreciate it if you give us a call at 563-999-3581. Once you call that number, if you press 1 on your phone, it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number. I'll turn on the microphone and announce you by your area code. And we can have a conversation. I should also mention that there are a whole host of audio files of shows just like this one where people have been stepped through the worksheet process that you can get access to and listen to. And um, should you choose to listen to them even repeatedly, they can serve as a powerful tutorial for you to help you get the maximum benefit from these tools in the shortest amount of time possible. So... uh, Short of um, calling in on the phone, we also have the option for you to send us an email. You can email me at tjh at mindshifters-academy.org or you can email Jeannie at j-e-a-n-i-e at org. That's w-h-y-a-g-a-i-n dot o-r-g. And if you send in a comment, a question, an answer, or a testimonial, we will address it on the Internet show and then send you a notice, as time allows, um, about what day and time we addressed your, your question or comment, and then you'll be able to listen back to the archives um, for the feedback. We appreciate it greatly whenever anybody does that because it makes it far easier for us to, as I like to say, live into our intention with this work. The intention we have with this work, Michael and Jeannie spending all of their time, intelligence, money, and energy to bring you the website and the Internet show, etc., is for the simple reason that they'd like to be a service. And... If you let us know how things are landing for you, how it's working for you, if you're trying the tools on your own, any comments or questions you have, whether or not it's making sense when we have one of these discussions about these various authors that work with similar tools, that would be appreciated. It makes it far easier for us to know we're on target when we get feedback. And... Today's Monday, so tomorrow night, Tuesday night, we'll have another uh, support group available through Zoom. If you or someone you know would like to join us, all the information needed to join us absolutely free is available at the uh, MindShiftersAcademy.org website, and um It would be our pleasure, our honor, to have you join us and or pass the information along to somebody you think might benefit from that free resource. So we have plenty of time for comments, questions, answers, testimonials. What's on your mind? I spent another weekend with reviewing some of the support group audio. We had a support group on a Thursday a few weeks ago that um, they had a discussion about what is the similarity or differences between Michael Singer's work that he's going in such depth with at the He has a 12-hour series of talks, a series of talks that adds up to over 12 hours, where he's going in detail to describe deeper and deeper levels of his book, The Untethered Soul. And one of our group members in that Thursday group a few weeks ago, had a question about how how different how differently he perceives Dr. Michael Rice's approach from Michael Singer's approach, and it, it, it when I look at these two approaches, I see almost exactly the same thing, which is why I bring into the support group the mind shifter support group it's an extension of the michael rice's work and i don't bring anything in there that is directly contradictory to the reality management worksheet and the principles under underlying it and why it's so effective and yet here we have this group member who in listening to the michael singer work and of course this group member has been Uh, doing michael rice's work for years or at least been exposed to it for years i don't know exactly how much of the work they do but they understand it i know they've done some worksheets etc but this person offered the perspective that it strikes them that these two approaches are very different and one of them says we have to go find the root cause of this that and the other and dig it out and And the other one just says, just accept and relax into whatever happens. And I, over this last weekend, I went back and listened to some of that discussion. And I was trying to figure out how these two approaches, which seem so similar to me, can be interpreted so differently by other people. And so I'll just say at this point that the, 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 the way that I see a tremendous similarity between Michael Singer's work where he keeps saying Here's the exercise when he's done talking about what is your mind. It's a field of energy. What are your thoughts? They are the disturbances that are generated within this field of energy that you call a mind when you cling to certain life events and you resist others. And so once you become aware that you have an upset, Michael Singer's solution to that is you simply release the tension or the upset. You simply relax into it. And the way that is similar to my mind to Dr. Michael Rice's work is you pick up a reality management worksheet and you just face directly what it is you're doing with your thoughts. You map them out on the first three steps of the worksheet process, and then you just cancel it all and it has to be shown something else. So again, it's just stepping back and observing and allowing something new, fresh, creative, insightful, divinely inspired, whatever words you want to use allowing something else to occur within that field of energy that we call the mind. And he has a very similar explanation for what is the heart. The heart is this vector of energy moving in a particular direction. And it just does what it does. And there is a, a peace that can be had when we as individuals step back into the mode of observer and just allow the flow of life, whether you want to look at it from the external perspective or the internal perspective. And, you know, this made sense to me because when we do a worksheet, then we don't see, okay, now that we've done the worksheet and we've seen through or dismantled some of our anger uh, that our mind was telling us was about Bob or Larry or Karen or whoever, Now we go out and change Bob or Larry or Karen or whoever. We don't change anything at least until we've dismantled the upset, at least until we've learned that we can relax into and through the tension or the resistance or the negative thoughts and judgment. And to my eye and ear, that's basically what we're doing with the Reality Management Worksheet. And what Course in Miracles asks us to do, choose for love in every situation. And what the Way of Mastery calls us to do, choose to remember the truth that is true always. And, you know, I I, I want to make space for people who see these as very different. And yet, the best results i get and this has been happening for decades now is when i look for the similarities i had i used to have the the thing in my graduate school training where there would be people who would be purists they would be Freudian, or they'd be Jungian, or they'd be Adlerian, or uh, they'd be Gestaltists, they'd be behaviorists, and they would be purists in their particular area, and they would literally look down their noses look down upon anybody who would say, well, I have an eclectic approach. They would say, oh, so you weren't good enough to get into a Jungian school, or you weren't good enough to get into a Freudian school, or you weren't good enough to, to get a, you know, a certificate or to be board certified in behavioral work or whatever. And it, it, it just it never made sense to me that people would have a problem with taking the best of this approach with the best of that approach with the best of another approach and apply it in different situations where it seemed most effective. And yet that's what, that's what would happen. And, you know, to, to, to this day, I mean, I've, I've seen people who take any approach and they get into it, and they become more of a believer in the approach than they become an effective clinician. And I think it it, it happens because they start getting rigid and they start looking only through this one lens. And so, you know, people think um, that they get really good results with... Um, EMDR, which is, stands for eye movement, EMI movement, desensitization for the D, and reprocessing for the R, EMDR. Well, they get some good results with that, and the next thing you know, they think every person they see needs EMDR. And that that's all we need to do is EMDR. And that's, there are some therapists, that's all they do all day long whoever comes to them, whatever age, they try and do the one one technique on them. And they might get good results with quite a few people. And yet there's a really good bet that there are a lot of people that leave that therapy office not getting what they needed because one approach doesn't fit everyone. And one approach doesn't, fit every situation so I I have great appreciation for the people that attend the support groups and um, bring up questions like this and help us deepen our understanding of what the similarities are from one approach to another. And again, my intention is results oriented. I want to be more loving in every situation where I used to get tight or tense or angry or confused or hurt or scared. I want to get better and better at being able to tap into my true nature, stay consciously aware of it, and extend that to others in more and more challenging circumstances. That's why I do this work. So if any of that makes any sense to you, or especially if it doesn't make any sense to you, give us a call, 563-999-3581, and press 1 on your phone and it'll put the little icon of a hand by your phone number, and I'll turn on the microphone and announce it by your area code. I had somebody suggest that the uh, show we did last week where the caller Joe called in was so useful for them that they'd like to have it be a best-of show. And so if you have a show like that, if you have a segment of a show that you think was especially helpful and you've got an idea like that, let us know. Area code five four one, you're in the air.
3: Yes. Good morning, Dr. Tim. Celinda. Hello, Celinda. And how are you this fine morning?
2: (laughs) I'm doing well, thanks. How can we support you today?
3: Um, I just wanted to comment on your eclectic approach and tell you how much I appreciate that and one thing I to like to share, just one little example, is I remember once a while back, and I might have shared this already, I don't know, where um, I ran across something. I think it was a German priest that said that what the Protestants did was they uh, substituted the Bible for the Pope. And actually, the Pope was still, uh, like this was my understanding, at least the Pope was still a human being that was open to some sort of influence. But the Bible is just this written word. It's like what we find out when people start interpreting the Constitution. And and so maybe that was why I was so drawn to the uh, Catholic Church, because I had so many mystics. Uh, as opposed to the Protestant church, which other than the Quakers, um, the original Quakers, um, that um, they were mystic. There were a few of them that were mystical, but not a whole bunch. It just seems like the farther we go along, the more cemented the biblical approach gets. And so I just thought I'd comment on that for you, because that really confirms the way I feel about the eclectic approach to my spiritual growth. So thank you for that comment.
2: Well, you're welcome. Um, you know, the, the thing that... Um, the thing about the Bible that there's so many people who don't... Don't study the origins of it. Don't understand. You know, like if if you if you go like Daryl and Dale Ellen Hoffman will talk about if you go into a Christian bookstore and you buy books about the Bible, you're going to get a very narrow view of the Bible. Right. But if you go to if you go to a scholarly historical uh, perspective on the Bible, you start to understand this isn't something that was carved on stone tablets by God in front of a human being and, and unchanged. It's been through many revisions. It's, it's been done by churches. It's been done by religions. It's been done by factions and cults. It's been done by publishers over the years they they approve a certain number of bibles new bibles to be printed every year but in order for a new one to get printed it's got to have a certain amount that's changed from previous versions and Dale Ellen Hoffman has those actual statistics but when you understand that it's just a book and that it's been crafted by humans for different purposes over the hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years, then you have a different perspective on it. But when you look at it as the inerrant word of God, or you think, you know, the the Pope is infallible, now you've really slammed the door shut on any kind of critical thinking or direct observation about life And it it produces the kind of results that we see, which is all of the judgments and condemnation and wars, you know, justified from a religious perspective that we see in the world. So that's just more of the reasons that I actively work to keep myself living in the question, living from direct observation.
3: I believe I mentioned to you one time about reading in, I think it was, one of the Buddhist magazines where this Catholic German priest said that anyone who takes the Bible literally is ultimately going to commit violence against another and the self. And I thought that was an interesting observation. Um, I, I, and when you, when you talk about language and how each one of us actually interprets a word, we think we, we all say the same words, but we think a different language, but we think we're all speaking the same language. And um, then you put it in a written form, and wow, you have just constricted it some more. Like, this is what the Word says. (laughs) And it, like, squeezes the Holy Spirit out. (laughs) Squeezes Ruha out because you know already. You know, I know already. Somebody knows already. This is the way it is. You're the classic line.
2: Well, I... I can only speak for the the results I've gotten. The best ones I've gotten come from learning to ask more and more beautiful questions and, and do whatever it takes, whether it's EFT tapping or breath work or Michael Rice worksheets or Diedrich Wolzak's worksheets, to dismantle whatever tension or upset I might feel when I try to just relax and live in the question without pushing for an answer, without demanding an answer in the next moment. And my life gets better the more I do that, and so I continue to do that.
3: Yes, and I really appreciate the um, your sharing that because, and the group sharing that, you know, our little community, because that is really helping me a lot. I had heard you make a couple or mention a couple of quotes, Richard Bach quotes, like from Illusions and a couple of books like that, and I wondered if you had ever read his book One. Just that's the name of it. One. It was
2: a book. That Richard came out Bach in the has has written a yeah. book t- with with the singular word as its title, One. O n e. Yes.
3: Yeah. Yes.
2: Okay, I, I'm, I'm not familiar sure with that. that's the
3: name of it. I'm pretty sure that's the name of it, but um, it was written in the late 80s, I think, and because I was in Reedsport at the time. It might have been 88, 89, somewhere around that time. We hadn't moved to Joseph's yet, and in Oregon, these are Oregon towns, and it was a book about parallel universes when he was married to Leslie Warren Parrish, his, his wife, and um It came out of his dreams and things like that, I think, he and his wife's dreams. And they, uh, what I would call soul traveled. And there was one book, there was one chapter in there that I remember above all others. And the title of the chapter was something like The Keeper of the Faith or something like that. And it was the most profound book, uh, profound chapter in that whole book. If you can by chance find that book in the library or something, um, that chapter is forced the whole book just to read. And I'm sure there were other wonderful parts that, if I were to reread it, I'd, they'd jump out at me. But that's what jumped out of me at me then. And then he was his so, question so, was.
2: So let me Who's let me let, let me let me ask it to slow this down. So you're talking about Richard Bach wrote a right. book. And the title is just One,
3: right? I think so, yeah.
2: And so somewhere in that book, there's one chapter that you're recommending or one quote from it? One chapter.
3: And the chapter is about the keeper of the faith. And he was questioning who is the keeper of the faith. I mean, who is going to be so pure that they can keep that faith and keep it alive, because the picture of it was, was, it was a flame, you know. It wasn't a book, it was a flame. And so I, I just thought you or your, reader or your listeners might be interested in pursuing that, just in case it's something that would be uh, resonant for them, for you.
2: Right. I'm right, I'm trying to follow this. What was the flame? That was
3: the actuality. The faith that was the The keeper of the faith
2: is the flame, or the faith is the flame.
3: The flame, the faith is the flame. Yeah, and that flame is always moving and changing and shifting. You know, and as it's as it's burning. Yeah. If I can find it, I'll see if I can't find it. And. And if I can find it, get a library book or something. Maybe I can uh, can at least give you the correct information about the title to make sure that's it.
2: Okay. Well, I'm not getting much when I'm searching for um, Richard Bach, The Keeper of the Flame, The Keeper of the Faith. Yeah. I'm not. I'm not getting much in terms right. of quotes from that.
3: Well, that was thirty five years ago, so maybe I need to look at it up on my end just to verify that i'm my memory is correct because it
2: that's a long time <laughs> okay
3: but I anything else we can support
2: that. you with today?
3: No, I think that's good. I just wanted to share those thoughts
2: and thank you. All right, you're welcome, and I will um see if I find anybody else who's had uh, experience with the Richard Bach book titled One, O-N-E. All right. Well, I will mute you so you can listen to the rest of the show. And thank you for the call, as always. Blessings. So we've got about 25, 26, 27 minutes left for comments, questions, answers, testimonials. If you have any experience with Richard Bach books and or the Richard Bach book one, let us know. And or if you have any recommendations of authors I should look into or books I should read that might be a good interview for the On Your Mind podcast or the Mind Shifters radio show. You never know what's going to pop up. I had a group member from years ago email me and talk about, um, gee, I wonder, is that Mind Shifters group still going on Tuesday nights through Zoom? So I was able to respond with a yes. And I think I've had three of those recently, and the first two said, oh, great, I'll join the group, and they never did. This one is someone who probably will join. So there's a tremendous value in the groups, in the community, in the tools. And so we invite you to join us or pass that information along to anybody you think might be interested. It's absolutely free. And it has uh, levels of value for support in using the tools and for playing ideas back and forth to, to help get deeper and deeper understanding. So five, six, three, nine nine nine, three five eight one. How can we support you? I have um several books I can go back to here. the one that we were reading from the essays from richard uh not Richard, but Christian Sundberg, and his book is. A Walk in the Physical is the title of that book. And we've been working through the essays in that book. And um, one of the last ones I read was um, Working Past the Assumption of the objective material world. And this is just another way to talk about how quantum physics tells us everything is energy. And Dr. Michael Rice has talks where he says, if you could see, if the antenna of your eye could keep up with the rate of spin of the energy that we see as a body, you wouldn't see a body. You would see nested energy frequencies within nested energy frequencies. So that same knowledge comes from a variety of different sources. And this work, The Walk in the Physical Book, talks about what is fundamental, what is the bedrock. And to review this essay, it says, we live in a world that appears to be a shared objective reality, in our world, if someone goes to some place and sees something, they can report about that to you, and you can gain knowledge of it secondhand. And we often assume that the same is true for the larger reality. The essay goes on and says, reality is ultimately consciousness-based, not objective material world based so the nature of the experience of any given individual can be significantly different than that of any other in fact there are two different experiences happening simultaneously all the time when you have two different people in a situation or viewing a situation This is true even in our local world where two people experience the same physical event in their own unique ways and often quite differently. But the truth is even more apparent in other reality systems. Many of these other reality systems are instantaneously responsive to the personal nature and the personal intent of the individual. In those situations, the objects reported from those environments then are often more a reflection of the individual and reflect that that individual's beliefs than they do the reality itself or the actuality itself. So in order to pursue understanding of the larger reality, we need to be willing to let go of many of the physical assumptions that we hold so dear. One of those assumptions is the belief in an objective material world. The world of matter is a consistent, shared experience, not a fundamental place. What is truly present is not the matter, but consciousness itself. And consciousness itself is having a deep dream of matter. While the veil of the dream remains thick for many of us on earth, the spirit is not fundamentally constrained by distance or matter or certain methods of perception or even linear time. Thus, as we seek to understand, quote, the big picture, close quotes, and we try to do that from the human perspective, it behooves us to realize these assumptions are false. For even though we naturally associate the context of the physical dream, our true nature is far more wonderful and unlimited than any part of this dream's structure. Another way to say that is there's a lot more going on here than you know about. There's a lot more going on here than your five senses can possibly reveal to you. I won't go so far as to say there's a lot more here, a lot more going on here than you can know about because you may have other ways of knowing beyond what your five senses can show you. This is why David E. Martin's book, Lizards Eat Butterflies, was so fascinating for me because in one part of it he mentioned, hey, look, we've got these 12 cranial nerves and we've got five senses and one cranial nerve associated with each of the five senses. So what about the other cranial nerves? What if each of the cranial nerves is related to a particular way of knowing the world or a a different sense for knowing the world? And we have not been taught to pay attention. We have not been taught to practice awareness that can come from those all 12 cranial nerves. We are thoroughly trained to practice integrating the information that comes from the five cranial nerves that are related to the five senses of sight, sound, smell, taste, and touch. And yet, David E. Martin raises the question in that book, what if there are seven other ways to know, to intuit, to have insight, to have an experience of something that isn't as immediate as the, the way the input from our five senses are. So at the end of that essay, it was saying, even though we naturally associate with this physical world and what they call the context of our physical world, and how we have a dream about it as being so real. We have the illusion that it is so solid. Even though we associate thoroughly with that, our true nature is far more expansive, wonderful, unlimited, than any part of the physical structure or the dream of the physical world. So, the next essay is titled, People are Good. And the essay reads, People are good! Or more accurately, the spirit is good. However, when people are engaged in very real constraint sets, each spirit is only, quote, so adept, close quotes. It only has so much skill and practice optimally expressing its true loving nature in the local context. Each spirit is only so good at operating from a love-based intent rather than a fear-based intent in any given context. And the journey to actually grow from fear to love can be a painful one regardless of how well the spirit executes choice-making, it is still fundamentally good. So, we may be, as a spirit, in situations that are so challenging for us that we have great difficulty choosing a loving response. We might fall into the fearful response, the aggressive response, the anxiety or panic attack response, the depression response. The essay goes on and says, some individuals are more adept than others at operating lovingly within a given physical and biological context. But at their core, all spirits are fundamentally beings of love and joy. This is true from the, quote, best of us, close quotes, to the, quote, worst of us, close quotes. And our society does not currently teach this. We habitually wish to identify enemies. Just as the wind has no enemies, even as a wall set before it is not the wind's enemy, you also do not have any enemies. Those labeled as enemies and other living spirits playing uh, they are other living spirits playing other roles in our limited local system and they are making imperfect choices while in a rigorous state of artificial separation they are in a state of artificial separation just as we are it is beneficial to see them for the love and joy that they really are even as they, like us, may be befuddled by the rigors of being human. Enemy. Akiel Harsan or something like that. There's a, a the um, ancient Aramaic word for enemy. Dale Ellen Hoffman would talk about this and say the meaning of that word in the Aramaic language is Anyone or anything in the presence of whom I cut myself off from my breath. I hold my breath. So whatever definition you have for enemy, here's a a different definition that has nothing to do with that person as an outside entity or any particular action that they may have taken. Any person or situation in the presence of whom I throw such an interpretation on them, their actions, or my relationship to them, that I hold my breath in tension or fear or rage. Now, the benefit of this, of knowing this definition, as far as I'm concerned, is that I can now attune myself to the internal workings within me of my mind energy and my labels and my interpretations because they are the only things causing the internal pain that I'm experiencing in the presence of my enemies. Those people or things or situations that I have labeled as bad or wrong. That I decide to set myself against that I think I have to go to war with, and the absurdity of that is that you're not separate or separated from anyone or anything, as Einstein would say, and as the uh, the book by um Thaddeus Golis says. Here's all you need to know. We are just one of an infinite number of equal beings. And the universe is simply the relations between us. There is no there is no other. Master, Master, what do we do about the anger of the other? And the Master says, there is no other. Thaddeus Golus writes... The universe is made up of one kind of whatever it is which cannot be identified. That's what you're made up of. That's what everyone, every other being of brilliance and light you interact with is made up of, the same thing. There's only one mind. It's connected. Everything is connected. So when you create a dream of separation within you and you buy into it and then you create a specific aspect in that dream of separation that you label a person or a thing as your enemy it's all an inside job so it's extraordinarily useful to recognize that the truth about this person is not the story i have made up about them the deeper truth that is so useful in this situation is that I have thrown an interpretation on them or their behavior or their situation that's so scary or overwhelming to me, even though I created it, that now I'm holding my breath. So an enemy is anyone or any situation in the presence of whom I hold my breath, and that's all. It doesn't mean they're bad or wrong. It doesn't mean that I have to fight them. It just means I have to, if I want to change this situation for the better, I have to restore my breath. I have to work at whatever negative interpretation I've created and placed on them that I can let go of and dismantle until I see their true nature the same as my true nature And if anybody's acting in a way that I would say is unloving, it's because they've been befuddled by the rigors of being human. They're lost in the dream of separation. They don't know in that moment how to achieve whatever they need without hurting someone else. It's that simple. It's that direct over and over and over again. Guy Finley does some talk where he's in this area of the New Testament in the Matthew uh, book of the New Testament where Jesus was doing the Sermon on the Mount and these other things and talking about, you know, seek ye first the kingdom of heaven and all good things shall be added unto you. And, And a banquet shall be prepared in the presence of your enemies. Well, the banquet that gets prepared in the presence of my enemies is when I understand that I'm the one who's created the concept of an enemy, and I'm cutting myself off from my own breath, from my own flow of emotions, from my own awareness of my true nature and the true nature of the people and things around me. And I restore the breath, and I drop the illusion of separation, and I choose for love the banquet is the bliss state that returns into my life the liberty the expansion the experience of expansion the direct awareness of love 247365 that's the banquet that gets prepared for me in the presence of my enemies because I understand just like the wind doesn't have any enemy even though when a when the wind hits a wall it you might say oh that that wall is an enemy of the wind the wind, the wind doesn't care the wind just flows around it you could be like the wind you can let the wind flow through you you can be like the baleen of the whale, and let life events flow through you and just take out what nourishes you and let the rest go. The next essay is titled, The Search for Wholeness, and it reads, We seek pleasure, not just as a biological impulse, but also because spiritually, we always seek source our source the source the one we yearn for the unity with source and each other the unity which is native to our true spiritual state as humans in a universe of form we tend to constantly look for that unity enjoy the unity and the joy in form, in other forms, in people, in things, in objects, ideas, beliefs, sights, sounds, substances, sensations. And while we may temporarily enjoy such unique form experiences, they never fully satisfy us because they're not what we're looking for. They are not what makes us complete. Our true joy is in our true nature, not in the stimulating illusion of separate things. One of the reasons we come to be human is to discover that experientially, to discover the truth of that for ourselves. Eventually, when the allure of form has failed us enough times, we have little choice but to turn inward. And then what do we discover? Like Francis of Assisi said, what we were looking for is what has been looking the whole time. When we finally drop our frantic search and surrender, we find spontaneously that the wholeness we seek never left us at all. The wholeness is what we are. We only experience separation because we're focused on and believe in and seem to depend on form. So when we finally, fully let go of form, wholeness naturally rises back up to us all on its own. This surrender can be very difficult, however, because the truth of our being seems to get, quote, wrapped up, close quotes, in the forms Of our lives. And as that happens, our true nature seems to become invisible. We really believe we are human. We really believe we are our occupation or our relationships or our affiliations or ideas or our bodies. So letting go of form is not an act of pitting yourself yourself against the form. Rather, letting go of the form is a... process of allowing quote what is close quotes to simply be all these forms exist within you it's not that you exist within form like a spirit inhabiting a body in the material universe for instance your awareness is always present for all aspects of your reality to exist as you move forward toward that awareness itself exactly as it is in the present moment, you automatically open the door for the wholeness that you seek to rise up in you. When we finally resense it, we discover that the wholeness is always there. Indeed, our unified true nature is always present. And despite the rich and convincing experience of separation, our capital B, being through which the experience of form occurs, cannot ever, ever truly be anything other than free, blissful, and whole. So, the fact of the matter is, we come from love, we're made of love, we are love, and everything else is false. So, that last essay, 134, from A Walk in the Physical... I'll thank you all for being here. I'll remind us all that just as this essay was saying, our true nature is there to rise up within us whenever we recognize it and turn inward and quit searching outside of ourselves for satisfaction. And I'll remind us that we come from love. We're made of the stuff we call love. We actually are love and everything else is false. And I'll turn the microphone on for and welcome Jeannie Rice.
1: Thank you, Dr. Tim.
2: You're quite welcome and deserving. Have a wonderful show.
1: Thanks. So welcome, everybody, to the second hour of Mind Shifters Radio. And today is Monday, July the 10th, 2023. And our call-in number is 563-999-3581. And press 1, and that puts you in Q to talk to us. And we would love to hear your comments and questions because that makes this your show. And wait for Michael to get dialed in and see if he has something else he wants to do or if he wants me to read first. And uh, we've had last week, um, the fourth, fifth, and sixth, I actually pulled those shows out and have combined them into two two-hour shows. And I'll have them on the website under special shows. And uh, I don't have them up there yet, but I will. So, Michael, I didn't know if you had something else you wanted to do before I started reading, or what?
4: I was going to talk about that uh, a little bit about the uh, that documentary series that we watched.
0: Oh, sure. And
4: uh, for me, it opens up so much understanding about what's going on in the world, especially the political world today. But uh, And there's one particular part that I found. I had to do some work and some breathing around. And it explains why I think all of a sudden, I think there's kind of a critical mass thing been hit. There's so much violence uh, coming into the political arena in the last few years. But the uh, series is on Amazon. It's called Shiny Happy People. And it's a story about a... Uh, a cult, basically, and it, it just it, it touches so many uh, arenas in terms of looking at the power-person dynamic, looking at what's going on in the world. Why are people supposedly, you know, quote-unquote, good people willing to do violence? You know, standing for guns and you know it's just all kinds of crazy stuff. But one of the uh the things they exposed. Was this is a a, a story about a <clears throat> faith-based organization that involves several different religions going around and teaching in different religious settings? Dated goal, which you know, when you think about it. it uh, I'll I'll leave those comments. But the stated goal, one of the stated goals is to take over government, the American government, via uh, religious training for young people and putting them into positions of power in America. And part of the training is as infants, apparently this training, they didn't say how long it went on, but it starts at about six months of age. And it's called blanket training. What they do is they put a child, about six months of age, on a blanket, laying on their back. And just out of reach, they put something, you know, attractive to them, something they'd be attracted to. And every time the child reaches for that something, they hit them and hit them and hit them and hit them until the child stops reaching and they called it breaking the rebellious spirit of Satan in them. So taking a child six months is just, just mind-boggling. And physically abusing them because they're reaching for something in the world. Training that the the old condemn the world, the world is bad, evil, blah, 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 and don't have any part in it. I just found it so shocking, and that the abuse that's committed. You know, there used to be some modicum of decency in the political world, and they've they've blamed blamed a certain politician for the violence. And I've I've had that thought too, not mentioning any names. But I see the wider. You know, I think perhaps that particular politician is a manifestation of. This mindset that's so violent that they take their own infants them for simply reaching for something that the parents put in front of the child. There are several big-name politicians, some who've run for the White House, some who've worked in the White House, who are part of that training. The group was located in Arkansas, and it's interesting that uh, one of the other things they exposed was that they forced the children to work uh, without pay. And recently there was a fine for a cleaning company that cleaned slaughterhouses around the country. And it was like a one and a half million dollar fine for having underage children working in slaughterhouses on dangerous equipment with dangerous chemicals. At a very short period of time after that fine happened in Arkansas, the governor of Arkansas, someone who worked in the White House for about four years, was instrumental in passing a law which is being worked on in several states and they and and got the law passed signed it into law this is supposedly from people who have family values that makes it easier for these kinds of integrity free businesses who would utilize kids as young as 13 working on dangerous equipment, dangerous chemicals within their companies. It's like, what is going on? And as we become aware of what goes on, of course, only then can we, number one, do the work to clean up in us whatever comes up, whatever surfaces, so that we can stand as a space to bring accountability and healing to circumstances and situations like this. And it just feels like uh, an appropriate piece of information for everyone to be aware of so that we can stand in a space of healing for these kinds of dynamics in our world if people don't know what they're dealing with. It's difficult to sometimes spot what's going on I'm not sure what else to say about it do you have any thoughts Jeannie it was a shocking series it was what four four sessions on Amazon shiny happy people do you have any thoughts dad to to um,
1: yeah the other thing was um, that the girls they made them I mean basically they were dressed with like collars up to their chins and all the way down to their ankles and they had to wear like pantaloons underneath and all of this stuff. And um, they, I mean, even to the point, they said that if a girl was sexually assaulted and in the series uh, there were a couple of the girls that actually their brother did them and that it was the girl's fault that, you know, men can't control their mind and so if the girl you know, shows an ankle or wears a collar too low or something like that, that they have asked for it to happen and that there is a lesson in yeah. there. And they should actually that's feel hard. blessed that they were raped because that means that God has yeah. more work for them to do. And oh, yeah, they was, even that's took, right. They even took tampons away from them because they were accused of trying to... Um, uh, destroy their own virginity and not saving themselves for their husband. And they wouldn't let them, you know,
0: yeah, we're about pleasure,
1: anything. Yeah. They would put, and I told Michael, there were so many things in there that I saw growing up. You know, we weren't part of this group, but there's bound to have been, you know, I think that a lot of the preachers that we had and they were, you know, fundamentalist and that, like for instance at camp they would come around with a stick that was six inches long and there had to be at least that much space between a boy and a girl that their legs couldn't be touching or their hands couldn't be touching or whatever and and um, you know girls swam at a different time than boys you know they weren't allowed to you know see them in their bathing suits even if it was a one piece that went down to their knee and um You know, just different things like that. But then it turned around Mm -hmm. by the end of the program that some of the leaders were actually doing sexual assault on the girls. And, you know, so it was like such a... um, And covering it up. You know, you've got to keep keep yourself pure, but it's okay if I do it to you. And um, it was just crazy. And they worked their children like... Their own children, like, you know, this it's part of it is the family that you've probably seen on TV, that it's like 19 and counting. They've got like 19 children. And they believe that God will determine when the children quit coming, that you can't do anything to stop, you know, getting pregnant or whatever. And they would take their children. I mean, they'd have the little ones out there. They had to build a bigger house because there were so many of them. And they made the children, like, dig the ditches for the foundations of the home and things like that, and they made, once the girls reached around the age of 10 or 11, then they were required to basically raise the younger children that were coming up because there were just too many children for the mother and father to take care of. So the children had to take care of the children. And they interviewed a lot of the kids, and they said, you know, what they regretted was or what they would like to have back is their childhood, that they didn't have a childhood, and they were sent to different the organization had different facilities, whether it was to be trained like kind of militarily or whether they were to uh, be tested for, you know, their ability to, you know, maybe work computers or something. But they wouldn't let the children, they were all homeschooled. They would not let them go to a public school and they told them it was ridiculous. They didn't need to learn the math and the things like that, that they needed to learn how to obey and that God was first and then the father and then the the mother and then the children. And, I mean, even the mothers would look at the fathers like with these, you know, sleepy eyes and smile and, you know, they, it was just so fake.
0: Yeah, there's
4: one scene where they have caught on film A well-known Arkansas politician, like national level. In fact, I sign up for different newsletters and things to keep track of it. I actually get a text from this group that's just uh, about as fake as as they were showing on the show uh, about, you know, how to vote, who you should be voting for. I get these texts from them all the time. And they catch this fellow on camera trying to cover up the pedophilia of one of the children of the family that's in that uh, TV series 19 in counting. And a couple of years later, the, uh, the kid, the young man, is uh, sentenced to 12 years in prison for child pornography. It's just like, and they've actually got this guy on film, I mean, he knows this kid has been sexually active or abusive with his sisters. And he tries to cover up. And they got him on camera trying to cover it up.
1: I mean, it's just like and he tells mind-boggling the girls that stuff. they are he tells them that they are shameful for saying that their brother you know, attacked them or that he was a pedophile or whatever, that he knew their brother and he knew their father and they were good people and the girls needed to keep their mouth shut and stay in line. I mean, it's like yeah. crazy.
4: And it's just uh, just something I'm, I, I bring it up to, to invite everybody to think about and it will... For me, at least, it made a lot more things drop in place as to why the politics and why the violence in just the last few years. And it's just a big, big wake-up call, big wake-up call. It would seem that any organization, and they claim they've had about 2.5 million people through their program since 1961. So they've been around 80, 82 years. And it would seem like it's sedition to have a stated goal of putting their people into the government and taking over with forcing the government to basically be a theocracy based in their interpretation of Christianity. That that's where we're heading and you know, if you look historically the founding fathers were pretty bright when they said "Separation of church and state because there's no theocracy, at least none that I know of, that didn't eventually turn into exactly what these people are doing. It's just uh, pretty wild, but I think in our modern world, this is uh, this influence, I mean two and a half million people, and again, if I mention the name of the uh, names of some of the politicians, you'd know them very well from the White House and Congress and such. And how it's influencing our society, our world. It just makes so much sense of some of the attacks that are going on, whether it's the LGBTQ community or, you know, banning books. You know, Florida, they banned the book, uh, The Life of um, Rosa Parks, like. Right? Why would you ban a book on the life of Rosa Parks? Pretty powerful historical. I guess you don't want women uh, thinking they can speak up. I I don't know. I don't know. It's just crazy. So if that aroused any thoughts for you, you have a conversation, something to share, question, thought. Our call-in number if you're on one of those stations where we can't see you is 563-999-3581. If You call that number, you'll be listening to the show. And then, if you push one, we'll be having a conversation. So, what's on your mind? How can we support you?, what's exciting in your world? I know one of the exciting things in our world is I just spent the morning working in the on our new compost pile. we've been We've created a a new compost pile that's about forty feet long and about five feet wide and about three feet deep. And so today was my day for going out with the tiller and tilling it all up and getting it rolling on another level. The garden is just, I mean, we're overwhelmed with uh, with food growing in the garden, which is pretty awesome. That's a fun project we've been engaged in. Other
1: than that, we're just kind of rocking forward. We have tomatoes and squash and zucchini, cucumbers the okra's coming on carrots are coming up cauliflower lettuce is about four feet tall Um, broccoli cabbages and the tomatoes are big tomatoes and cherry tomatoes and they're just all going wild so it's really nice. had
4: bruschetta fresh bruschetta out of the garden the uh, herbs I mean it was just awesome (laughs) so pretty cool pretty sweet So if somebody has any other thoughts, let's go to the reading.
1: All right. So we were reading in the chapter called Far, Far Beyond. It's chapter 13. And this is uh, Michael Singer's book called The Untethered Soul. And where we left off was um, talking about going beyond always means letting go of the effort to keep things within your defined limits. So there are two ways you can live. You can devote your life to staying in your comfort zone. Or you can work on your freedom. In other words, you can devote your whole life to the process of making sure everything fits within your limited model. Or you can devote your life to freeing yourself from the limits of your model. To understand this better, let's take a trip to the zoo. Imagine that you're having a great time until you see a tiger inside a small cage They, he says causes. This triggers you to contemplate what would be like to live the rest of your life in such tight confinement. The very thought is extremely frightening to you. But in truth, the confines of your comfort comfort zone create such a cage. This inner cage doesn't limit your body. It limits the expanse of your consciousness. Because you are unable to go outside your comfort zone, you are, in essence, locked in confinement. If you examine this, you will see that you're willing to stay in this cage because you're afraid. Your comfort zone is familiar to you. Beyond it is the unknown. To fully appreciate this, just imagine the most paranoid person you have ever met in your entire life. He's so scared. Every moment of his life, he thinks somebody's trying to hurt him. If you offer him that tiger's cage, he might accept your offer. He doesn't see it as being locked in a cage. He sees it as protection from what could harm him. That which looks like prison to you looks like safety to him. What if a security service came to your house and bolted down all the doors and barred all the windows? If you happened to be inside at the time, would you panic and want to get out? Or would you thank them for helping you feel safe? Most people have the second reaction when it comes to limitations of their psyche. They want to stay in there and feel safe. They don't say, get me out of here. I'm locked in this tiny world in which everything has to be a certain way. I have to worry about what everybody's doing, what I look like, and everything I've ever said. I want out. Instead of wanting out, they try to keep their cage stable. If something is not comfortable, they do whatever they must to protect themselves and get back to the feeling of safety. If you've ever done that, it means you love your cage. When the cage of the psyche got rattled, you fixed it so that you could be comfortable inside. When you truly awake spiritually, you realize you are caged. You wake up and realize that you can hardly move in there. You're constantly hitting the limits of your comfort zone. You see that you're afraid to tell people what you really think. You see that you're too self-conscious to freely express yourself. You see that you have to stay on top of everything in order to be okay. Why? There's really no reason. You have set these limits on yourself. If you don't stay within them, you get scared. You feel hurt and you feel threatened. That's your cage. The tiger knows the limits of his cage when he hits bars. You know the limits of your cage when the psyche starts to resist. Your bars are the outer boundary of your comfort zone. The minute you come to the edge of your cage, it lets you know it in no uncertain terms. Let's look at this edge by way of an example. In the old days, if you wanted to keep your dog in the backyard, you had to put up a fence. Nowadays, you don't need a fence because everything is electric. You just bury wires underground and put a little collar on the dog. And the dog thinks, hey, I'm free. I used to have to be inside a fence. This is great. Of course, he goes running right to where he's not supposed to and zap! He jumps back and barks. What happened? An invisible limit was there, and when the dog approached that limit, it gave him a shock. It hurt. It was uncomfortable enough so that now the dog feels fear whenever he approaches the boundaries. So you see, a cage doesn't have to look like a cage. It can be a cage created by your fear of discomfort. If you approach your limits, you begin to feel uncomfortable and insecure. Those are the bars of your cage. As long as you stay inside of it, you cannot possibly know what's on the other side. Boundaries of this cage are what make your world appear finite and temporal. The infinite and eternal are just outside the limits of your cage. Going beyond means going beyond the borders of the cage. There should be no cage. The soul is infinite. It is free to expand everywhere. It is free to experience all of life. This can only happen when you are willing to face reality without mental boundaries. If you still have barriers and you know what they are because you hit them every day, You must be willing to go beyond them. Otherwise, you remain within your cage. And remember, decorating your cage with beautiful experiences, fond memories, and great dreams is not the same as going beyond. A cage by any other name is still a cage. You must be willing to go beyond. Throughout each day, you frequently hit the edges of your cage, and when you hit those edges, you either pull back or you try to force things to change so that you can remain comfortable. You actually use the brilliance of your mind to stay inside your cage. Day and night, you plot and plan how to stay within your comfort zone. Sometimes you can't even fall asleep at night because you're too busy thinking about what you need to do to stay within your cage. How can I make it so that she will never leave me? How can I keep her from ever becoming interested in someone else? You're trying to figure out how to be sure you won't hit the edges of your cage. Let's go back to the dog. Since that particular dog was used to roaming free, it's a sad day when he stops trying to get out of the yard. The only reason he would stop trying to go beyond his little space is that he's afraid of the edges. But what if you're dealing with a very brave dog that's determined to be free? Imagine that the dog has not given up. You find him sitting there right at the place where the collar starts vibrating and he's not backing off. Every minute, he's stepping forward a little bit more in order to get used to the force field. If he continues, he will eventually eventually get out. There's not a chance in the world that he won't. Since it's just an artificial edge, he can get through if he can learn to withstand the discomfort. He just has to be ready, willing, and able to handle the discomfort. The collar cannot actually hurt him. It's just uncomfortable. If he's willing to go beyond his comfort zone, he's free to come and go at will. Your cage is just like this. When you approach the edges, you feel insecurity, jealousy, fear, or self-consciousness. You pull back, and if you're like most people, you stop trying. Spirituality begins when you decide you'll never stop trying. Spirituality is the commitment to go beyond, no matter what it takes. It's an infinite journey based upon going beyond yourself every minute of every day for the rest of your life. If you're truly going beyond, you are always at your limits. You're never back in the comfort zone. A spiritual being feels as though they are always against that edge. They're constantly being pushed through it. Eventually, you will realize that it cannot actually hurt you to go beyond your your psychological limits. If you are willing to just stand at the edge, And keep walking. You will go beyond. You used to pull back when it got uncomfortable. Now you relax and go past that point. That is all it takes to go beyond. Go beyond where you were a minute ago by handling what's happening now. Would you like to go beyond? Would you like to feel no edges? Imagine a comfort zone that is so expanded that it can easily fit the entire day no matter what happens. The day unfolds and the mind doesn't say anything. You simply interact with the day with a peaceful, fully inspired heart. If your edges happen to get hit, the mind doesn't complain. It just passes through. This is how great beings live. When you are trained, like a great athlete, to immediately relax through your edges, when they get hit, then it's all over. You realize that you will always be fine. Nothing can ever bother you except your edges, and now you know what to do with them. You end up loving your edges because they point your way to freedom. All you have to do is constantly relax and lean into them. Then one day, when you least expect it, you'll fall through into the infinite. That is what it means to go beyond.
4: and when you apply forgiveness to the edges in your mind and everything that is accompanied in the mind by some form of hostility or fear is an edge and what happens with forgiveness is that you have the opportunity to drop into those aspects of mind which reflect in physiology and remove the limits remove the edges interestingly and Uh, how how close he is in, in his definition there in the Aramaic language there's a proper translation for the words kingdom of heaven is one as the community of love and also as the kingdom of expansion so to expand into love to move away from the restrictions created by hostility and fear and expand into the truth of who we are changes everything changes everything And it's interesting, you know, I I spoke in the beginning of the show about that uh, uh, docu-series. And just to watch how brutally someone would, with their own children, use physical abuse, I mean, with an infant, a child of six, in order to put edges in, in order to make sure you never go outside of... Yeah, unbelievable that you never go outside of that limit by physical reinforcement of punishment if you do reach beyond an edge. I mean, just that young an age, i mean, how crazy is that? Definitely a big wake-up call for healing and bringing a proper understanding of what those ancient teachings were about. You know, it's interesting. We live in a culture that uh, in the last count I, I checked on, we had about 32,000 different sects of so-called Christianity. Now, I'd offer there's only one Christianity. There's one set of principles that were taught by a man named Yeshua 2,000 years ago. It's physics. It's physiology. It's psychology. It's genetics. It's about how life works. And then we have people who have edges. <laughs> In Michael Singer's language, people have edges who look at that and say, ah, here's what that means, and they instill, install and instill their edges on the teaching. And by doing so, totally and completely distort and destroy it. Facing those edges, facing the, the generational patterns of hostility and fear, Stepping into them consciously, purposely, as the presence of love, is a major challenge in order to really express who we are as human beings. And that's what this work is dedicated to. And... When somebody tells you, they know what it's all about. In fact, one of the, the scenes, the person who started this particular organization uh, says, I have all of the answers for you. If you find somebody's got all the answers, better turn tail and run. <laughs> it's your trouble. We don't have any answers here. We have tools. We have tools. We've gone to the Aramaic and, and decoded the tools with which each person can push back their edges, can open into that expansion. And But as far as answers, don't have the more questions than answers. Principles, tools, how do you heal a mind that's been limited through punishment or just through generational ignorance of the principles of who we are? as human beings, as the created essence of a human being. And that the, you know, if you listen to the commitment, the opening lines of the commitment, promise to trust enough to tell you the truth and treat you lovingly, gently, and with respect. There's a principle into the space where they get to experience who they are as love. Where the mind, what we call the non-being mind, would install its limits in every other mind. Another really, in the context of this conversation about this docuseries, again it's called Shiny Happy People on Amazon, the cages using Michael's metaphor, that people get put in mentally are just unbelievable. And I forget who was it said it, but something to the effect of you can't get out of a prison if you don't know you're in one. Difficult to tell if you're not fully awakened as a human being. Difficult to tell what is limit and what is true if you're not experiencing yourself as the human being that you are, as the created active presence of love. And so the objective of this work is to open space for that experience and To have a guidepost, and the simple guidepost is, is it based in hostility or fear? Then it's not human. It doesn't belong in your mind. It doesn't belong in your emotions. It doesn't belong in your body. Well, what do I do about it? Forgive, forgive, forgive. Now, never forgive anyone, including yourself, but forgive continuously. Recognizing that forgiveness isn't about what most of churchianity has taught us, that it's about letting somebody else off the hook because our physiology is producing something traumatic. If I'm in pain and you happen to be present, there's nothing for me to forgive you for. No reason for me to let you off the hook because my physiology is producing something. What I want is a tool with which to go into my own physiology and remove whatever the block is. That's forgiveness. Pardoning, Greek idea, is what most of the world has been taught, is forgiveness. People drive around in their cars with little bumper stickers and say, I've been forgiven. Well, you know, you've got somebody there that's not living in truth. Because you will never be forgiven for anything. And the reason you'll never be forgiven for anything is because you can't be forgiven for anything. Because forgiveness isn't about letting you off the hook. So there's some confusion in most minds to be worked through to really take hold of these tools and put them to work in their lives. And the whole purpose of this conversation has been going on for the last 13 years, I guess. We're we're into the 13th year now, I think. Hour a day, five days a week. Purpose of the conversation is to push back those walls to expand into the truth of who we are individually and collectively, not for any other purpose than simply to experience life as a true human being. So, Ms. G, do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the chat room?
1: No, it's all quiet. There was a new person in the chat room and they said, I'm new to your channel and I could really use some healing. And I wrote, and I said, "Well, welcome. How can we support you?" And they disconnected. So hopefully Hmm. they'll call in. Um, That would be cool. uh, Be of support to you. So if you're on the line, Oh, we had a hand go up. I believe this is Audrey. Five five two zero. You're on the air. Hi. Hi there, young
4: lady. Welcome.
1: Good morning. Good to hear your voice.
5: Oh, it's wonderful to be here. I had tuned in earlier, was listening and then I had a phone call come in so I um uh, I unmuted and um tuned out and then Brian. I tuned back in again. And I wanted to share well, a, an experience this morning. A person okay. had called me a person had called me uh to cancel a, a group and the person was saying that uh, she was experiencing sinus problems. So I replied, I wonder what sinusitis is representative of. When we got, it, she was telling me what was going on with her life. And when I get off the phone, I went to, Louise can heal your life. And I looked at look right. sinus. And it absolutely correlated to exactly what she was experiencing. Really, and it gave the and it gave the affirmations. And uh, Louise Hay book is a tool. Your your um, processing is a tool. There's many tools, but I believe. That discordant energy that we experience gets um, let's say trapped into areas in our life to alert us what what is going on It's our body right on a track. communication device and i I want to thank you Michael, and I mean this uh this, this book, your processing, many other tools uh, such as Louise Hay book, You Can Heal Your Life, and the EFT, so many modes of healing are out there yes. for us to experience. And I just, I mean, I'm in awe of how this is coming together for me. And I just want Sweet. to express and thank
4: you. Well, thank you for saying thank you, and you're welcome and deserving. And tell us what uh, Louise had to say about sinuses.
5: It, uh, it was saying, it, it, um, it, uh, in fact, I'll read it. Sinus problems, irritation to one person, someone close. And then the affirmation is, I declare peace and harmony, indwell me, and surround me at all times. All is well.
3: From her book.
4: Cool. So I would add one one level to that conversation, and I'd agree fully that that's uh, what... um, what probably is at the root of many physiological expressions of things like sinus. However, I disagree with the affirmation game because if my mind, if my unconscious holds something that goes against the affirmation, each time I use the affirmation, and the power is in the unconscious, each time I use the affirmation, I'm reinforcing whatever its opposite is in the unconscious. So what I suggest people do is turn the affirmation into a mind shifter. You know, the Tideless Radio shows Mind Shifter's Radio. And a mind shifter is what most people call an affirmation, except that what one does is you take a t- piece of paper, divide it down the middle, and on the left-hand side of the page write the mind shifter, what, what is now a mind shifter, what the, what's called the affirmation, and then allow everything in your mind that goes against it to come to the surface, use that as a catalyst, and write down everything that comes up in response. So in response to that particular mind shifter, one's mind might say, well, that's not true, there's no peace in my life. Well, you know, just look at what happened with Charlie yesterday. Well, you know, one of these days I'll get even with. It. And and so using the what most people just, you know, as I see it, most people use affirmations to try to force something to be true that isn't true. Where in this work, we define a mind shifter as a thought about an issue in your life around which you have negative thoughts and it's the opportunity to surface, process, and release the negative thoughts. So turning every affirmation uh, into a mind shifter gives one the opportunity to start to process the unconscious dynamic that's, you know, reflecting in the body or reflecting out in the world. It just takes things to another level. But I'm right thank with Louise that on, on that, uh, on that uh, cause behind sinus issues. Well,
5: thank you, because um um, recently, I had gone to a workshop by Jonathan Lenz here in um, Tucson, Arizona, in Unity, and he had this right. formula on the board, and it was an equa- uh, like an equa- equation with brackets. Right. It's T. Okay, it's T plus B brackets closed, and on the top, it on the outside of the brackets, it's S equals QL. Okay, so thought plus belief expentiated by the feeling equals quality of life. And I resonate with what you just said because so often the mm, unconscious programming. So the shift the program we shift the program and do the work and mm, as your process of um, mm, uh, um the form uh, the, uh, the form um as we do the, the
4: reality work. management worksheet right,
5: the, right worksheet. the forgiveness process yes as the worksheet it shifts from the unconscious to the conscious and the shift takes place and we no longer are responding to the unconscious but make it conscious and that's where the healing takes place am i am i correct in my you're right on track of the workshop
4: you're right on track carl young Carl Jung has a really powerful quote on that topic, and let me see if I can bring it to mind. I I, I don't remember the exact wording, but, but the basic idea is that which one holds in their unconscious will direct their lives and people will call it fate, that that's where they end up. Oh, well, that's just fate. It's like, no, you're a creator. And, you know, the power to create when you, set up this unconscious mind the power is held in the unconscious
0: you know in the ancient teachings
4: it was called the heart and you know sooner or later we need to open that veil of the temple so to speak that barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious face what's there and face it out of a space of conscious active present love which means whatever that unconscious dynamic is, is it begins to dissolve And literally getting rid of the unconscious, nothing sneaks up on you because you're not creating your life out of an unconscious condition. We've got to get rid of that veil, that barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious. You know, the churchianity interpreted the veil of the temple as, you know, a purple curtain in the church. But it's not. The temple is our own physical form. That's the temple And it's the barrier between the subconscious and the unconscious that keeps us wondering, you know, the title of my book, why is this happening to me again? Never realizing that the reason is because what I'm holding, what I'm creating, keeps coming back to bite me and until I face it, can't change it. And the mind shifter is a way to bring what it is that I'm hiding from myself to conscious awareness so I can embrace it in love and be freed from it.
5: Yes. Thank you, because computer and I am the computer programmer. And when I operate from the unconscious in a distorted and uh, in, in, in distortion energy, and I'm not conscious of it, how in the world am I going to change the program? There is the answer, and the answer of one of the tools, it's a great tool is the worksheet.
4: And I it's understand now.
5: Yes, it, it's a powerful tool.
4: Right. And my offering and, is, my offering is, you are neither of the things that you just said you are. The truth is, you are love.
5: Yes, yes.
4: The truth yes. Of is, each of us is love. And when we're unconscious, we're just rolling out the programs of the generations. You know, that story of the Jews wandering in the desert for 40 years was not about being in the 35 square mile hot sandy place for 40 years. That's kind of ridiculous. It was about being locked and lost in the unconscious. The desert, the, you know, I mean, it's, it's a place of suffering. And the alternative to that was to go to the promised land. What did they say in that story, which is just a metaphor for life for people? What did they say in that story had to happen to get out of the desert and go to the promised land, which is simply conscious co-creation? What had to happen, they said, was the old generation had to die off. And that didn't mean everybody in old physical bodies had to physically die. The root of the word generation is genari; It means cause. All of the causes held in the unconscious had to be processed through. Otherwise, we were lost in the unconscious or the desert. And we're not designed for that. We're designed to be conscious, creative beings, knowing ourselves as the stuff of love and bringing that into expression in our world.
5: Absolutely. Absolutely. And thank you. Thank you for this wonderful opportunity to be exposed to the work, the Worksheet.
4: Just doing our jobs, young lady.
5: Blessings.
4: All right. delight to hear from you. Thank you. All right. Lots of love and blessings. Take care. Bye-bye. Uh, Miss Jeannie, we've got about 10 minutes left. Do we have anybody in the phone queue with a hand up or anything happening in the
1: chat room? No, it is all quiet on the home front.
4: So if you're out there in listener land and if you happen to be on one of those stations where we can't see you in our control panel, if you call in to the show from your phone, the call-in number is 563-999-3581, 563-999-3581. If you call that number, you'll be listening to the show directly, and then if you push 1, through the magic of technology, and thank you to Blog Talk Radio. We deeply appreciate what they facilitate for us, what they offer to us at a very reasonable cost. So when you push one, that will raise a hand in the control panel. Technology's amazing. And we'll be having a conversation. So what's on your mind? How can we support you? We're down to about ten minutes, and there's perfect time for another good conversation. Maybe even two. So if you have a thought for us, do it now. Don't wait till the last minute. And let's talk about it. How can we support you? What's on your mind? Well, Ms. Jeannie, I'm complete. Have you got any other thoughts to add?
1: No maybe announce one more time about uh, if people are interested in doing an online intuitive development.
4: Yes, that kind of looks like it's developing. And so we haven't set a date as yet, but it looks like it's going to probably be a 10-week intensive. It'll be a Saturday and a Sunday for 10 weeks straight. And or if we set it up where there's a holiday in the middle, we might uh, we might take a week off. But uh, it kind of depends how it comes together. So if you're interested in joining us for Intuitive Problem, it'll be a a practicum on how to... We'll step into the forgiveness process, but then how to access information without reference to your mind. Without reference to the past. But really, how to awaken the higher faculties so that we don't need eyes, ears, taste, touch, smell, hearing... We don't need those things we can directly access the actuality rather than go through the instrument of senses which tends to keep us locked in the information that's already stored within the mind and the body so how to step up and beyond that is what intuitive development is all about We'll do the why is this happening to me again experience. We'll do uh, what my healing's going to look like and then we'll step into the intuitive development practicum. So if you're interested in participating in that if you've got Jeannie's number or mine, then give us a call and or you can uh, simply send Jeannie an email. Her email is j e a n i e at w h y again.org so genie at why again.org. drop her a note saying you're interested and uh, make sure to give us your name and phone number and i'll get back to you and see what your your vote is on timing and such and we'll look at uh, when that's going to come together so if you're out there in listener land, you have a thought for us, I would prefer to continue the conversation. We've got about six minutes left, I guess. And so if, uh, if you've got a conversation, push one, let's talk about it. Otherwise, I'm going to say thank you for joining us. Have the best year yet of your eternal life. It's an awesome gift to give the world and blessings. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
1: Thank you for listening to Mind Shifters Radio with Dr. Michael Rice and myself Jeannie Rice and Dr. Tim Hayes and Michelle Pichet as we present the first century Aramaic Internal Process of Forgiveness. We are here for two hours every Monday through Friday from 12 noon to 2 o'clock Eastern Time on Mind Shifters Radio. For more information on Aramaic Forgiveness, please visit www.whyagain.org. That's www.whyagain.org.